Welcome to the ACFCS Financial Crime Cast, a briefing featuring the latest news, analysis, and guidance from across the financial crime spectrum. I'm Brian Spodekindle, SVP of Product and Programming with ACFCS, and I'm going to kick this podcast off with a question. What percentage of all bank fraud do you think involves a malicious insider? The number that popped to my mind was maybe 10-15%. You're a little higher, perhaps you're going up to 20%. Well, all of those would be a underestimate. According to a 2021 study by Carnegie Mellon University, 26% of all bank fraud in North America involved an insider. And if we look over at the UK, the number is even higher. A piece focused on the UK Banking Center by NatWest found that nearly 40% of fraud losses were tied to internal staff. Those numbers may be surprising. They were surprising to me, given the amount of time and effort we expend focused on external fraud risks. But the good news is that there are many ways to actually stop internal fraud before it even occurs. And in this case, an ounce of prevention may be worth a pound of cure. I'm pleased to welcome Rude Grotens, Head of Financial Crime and Fraud Consulting with Bottomline, to explore this concept further. We'll discuss the factors driving the rise in insider fraud, how monitoring for internal risk can actually stop fraud before it starts, and the technology, processes, and privacy considerations you need to get this right. Well, Rude, thank you so much for being here. It is a pleasure having you on the Financial Crimecast. Um, great to connect with you again. Some of our listeners out there may recognize you from some of our past webinars and presentations and events. So uh, always great to uh, have you back. And thanks for being here. Uh, likewise, thanks for having me, Brian. It's, uh, it's my pleasure. And I'm glad to be here and have this conversation with you. Excellent. I am uh, looking forward to it. And our topic, of course, today is insider fraud. Uh, And there has been much to indicate that insider fraud continues to uh, increase over the past several years and really over the past two years in particular. I think there's some factors driving an increase that we'll get into in this the course of this dialogue. But, you know, let's start there and just understand, uh, Rude, what, what is actually driving this? Why are we seeing a rise in internal fraud at financial institutions, um, particularly banks, but many others out there as well? Yeah, yeah, that's a very interesting question, uh, Brian. And what always helps me to give it more structure is uh, Cressy's fraud triangle. Uh, As you know, uh, Donald Cressy was an expert in crime and developed the fraud triangle back in 1953. That's almost 70 years ago. Uh, But I think the the fraud triangle is still applicable. And Cressy said there are three conditions, three factors for an individual to commit a fraud, right? So that's one, pressure, two, opportunity, and three, rationalization. Right, so when we look in, into pressure first, uh, pressure in someone's uh, personal life could lead into committing fraud at any time, right? So, for for example, looking at today's ongoing uncertainty around the economy and the rise in the cost of living, that's making life for many uh, people tougher, and people might be tempted to commit fraud as as a little extra money would make things easier. Um, and then the second factor comes um, uh, into play when, you know, people are thinking about justification of what they are doing, rationalization, for example, when it comes to collusion between insiders with an external uh, bad actor. Suppose I'm the insider and getting money for leaking confidential information. 
my justification could be, um, actually, I don't care. The external bad actor is committing the crime, not me. So I'm innocent, right? But according to, uh, to Cressy, besides pressure and rationalization, there must also be an opportunity. Uh, for example, the growth of digital activity due to the pandemic that created uh, more opportunity for fraudsters and internal fraudsters. And simply because there's a larger pool of potential victims and there's a higher success rate for fraudsters. And another example is the mass shift to working from home that has created uh, numerous opportunities uh, to commit uh, uh, fraud against employers and, and customers. Um, but most people think about opportunities for financial theft, but the opportunity could also be related to data leakage or data theft, as I mentioned. Uh, think about impersonation fraud like APP fraud or business email compromise. Um, fraudsters are good at impersonating people because they have access to huge amounts of digital data from individuals and organizations, and that they can find that information from uh, on, on public websites but it could also come from data leakage or data theft within a financial institution or uh, a, a company. Uh, for example, again, an external fraudster may collaborate with someone within the organization who helps the fraudster to gather information on a customer and then use that information to follow up with targeted phishing uh, messages. So pressure, rationalization, and opportunity are the three conditions for an individual to commit fraud. And I think in the context of fighting against insider fraud, it's a matter of taking that opportunity away. That means catch insider fraud early and shut it down immediately. Yeah, that's some fantastic points there. And I think it absolutely does help to contextualize it within that that right. fraud triangle. Um, and, you know, when we when we look at that fraud triangle, I also think you're right in that some of those drivers like uh, pressure and uh, rationalization, if economic conditions do worsen, you know, may uh, may only uh, increase um, in the uh, abundance of those those things. So um, definitely something we're going to have to to look out for as a as a potential recession plays out over the next several months. Uh, also interesting, you know, you mentioned that there's often a, a outsider and an insider, and sometimes we, you know or maybe just me, but uh, I separate out insider fraud and, you know, fraud from outsiders. But it sounds like maybe there's often a, a situations where there there's a combination of the two. It's not so much a, a hard separation between, you know, an, an external attacker who's committing the fraud uh, and an insider who's acting independently, but there's a collaborative right. effort. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about that and maybe give some examples that you've seen from your experience? Yeah, um, the collusion between employees and external fraudsters is very difficult to, to detect, but that is where the opportunity is, right? So if we look into uh, the 2022 Fraudscape report from CIFES, and CIFES is, uh, is uh, uh, the UK's fraud prevention community, um, so they, they maintain and, and, and get a lot of information from their members, partners, and law enforcement about fraud in the UK. Um, and actually, uh, in their latest uh, 2020 uh, Fraudscape report, they explicitly mentioned that there is concern about what they call the rise in insider threat as a service. And they mean where employees are actively being recruited to carry out uh, internal fraud. 
And that is also in line with a study from uh, Carnegie Mellon University. That's a report from December 2021. And they found cases where multiple banks were involved and, and included a group of between 10 to 30 people all working to steal information and money from banks. And it's really the first time that I heard about a fraud ring of banking employees who all working uh, for different banks. Um, and on the other hand, I'm also not surprised about the sophistication of, 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 of this example. But so indeed, the threat landscape is, is, is changing. Um, but I think the biggest danger for banks is that it's still, yeah, still most insider frauds go undetected. And um, as such, insider fraud is still wrongly considered less of risk, unfortunately. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. Uh, one of the things that always fascinates me, and you alluded to this in your your the Carnegie Mellon study, is the degree to which fraudsters collaborate. Um, right. You know, using social media, using digital channels, or just in you know organized networks. Um, when we talk, you know, when we look at kind of how the threat landscape is evolving, is that something that you know, has changed or is really increasing? Is this just as level and the sophistication in the collaboration um, and any other, you know, elements of the threat that you would highlight? Yeah, the level of sophistication is is uh, is going up, but also, you know, the, the, the access to digital systems, uh, social media, as you uh, as you mentioned. So, um, uh, that was one, one of the findings of CIFAS in the UK as well, that social media is used to approach employees. And, and these employees are offered large amounts of money in exchange for abusing their position as an employee. Uh, think about disclosing confidential customer information or company information or even manipulating systems and data. And yeah, again, the collusion between employees and external bad actors is is difficult uh, to detect. And again, yeah, that that is where the opportunity is, and um, that is definitely something uh, we need to keep an eye on. Yeah, great point. Uh, you mentioned you you alluded to the fact that internal fraud doesn't always get maybe the attention, particularly from the right. financial sector, um, that external fraud does. Um, why is that? Why does internal fraud in comparison to other fraud types not get quite as much of, an, of a focus? Yeah, that's traditionally the main focus for, for financial institution has always been on payment fraud, right? Committed by um, yeah, external bad actors. Um, think about card fraud, think about online and mobile fraud. It's taking place almost every day and it hits the news a couple of times per week, but not all fraud attacks come from outside. Yeah, although the majority of the employees can be trusted and are, are, are honest. But yeah, as I said um, uh, earlier, when, when speaking about insider fraud, many people are thinking about financial theft only. But unethical behavior, such as data leakage, uh, leaking sensitive data, uh, like e e email addresses, address details, is also insider fraud. Um, yeah, and um, at, at bottom line, we are currently seeing an increased interest from medium to large financial institutions in our insider fraud risk management solution. And there's clearly a shift taking place. I mentioned it earlier, um, pollution between internal staff and external bad actors. That is very difficult to prove. And I'm often hearing from, from banks that there is often a suspicion of insider fraud, but there is no evidence. 
And that is the reason that insider fraud often underreported or not reported at all. Well, you don't know what you don't know. And if I don't fully understand, or if you don't fully understand the nature and scale of the threat, then it becomes difficult to create a business case and decide about investing in an insider fraud risk management solution uh, or not. Yep. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. You know, the old the 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 unknown unknowns out there exactly. in the fraud space exactly. are exactly. always lurking. Uh, let's talk about you know uh, another factor that may go into the hesitance uh, to focus on internal fraud or adopt a solution, which is you know the feeling like maybe you know I'm being spied on um, or yeah, the resistance from within the employee base or even managers right. who don't feel comfortable with it so yeah um, let's talk about that a little what, what how, do you run into this resistance and you know how, how do you yeah. overcome it or address it yeah it's the big brother is watching you syndrome <laughs> I would like to <laughs> refer to but I think the answer to that question is twofold uh, Brian um, firstly I noticed that there is resistance when it comes to language and tone. Um, might surprise you, but in this business, I've never heard so many synonyms for the same thing. People are talking <laughs> about uh, employee fraud, insider fraud, occupational fraud, bad actors, bad apples, unethical behavior. And the juicier, juicier one I heard is uh, the silent killer within your organization. Mm -hmm. well, with so many synonyms that tells us something about the sensitivity of the subject, right? Um, and employee fraud sounds very unfriendly. It is as if you don't trust your own people or your own peers. But when you call it internal fraud risk management, then from my experience, you suddenly have a better topic for a conversation uh, because not everything is employee fraud. It can also be human error or negligence. Uh, for example, people losing an unprotected uh, work device or a laptop or a mobile device. But on the other hand, there's also resistance when it comes to, uh, yeah, the big brother is watching you culture. Uh, banks need to protect customer data. Um, they have to take care of customer privacy. And or, therefore, we need to check if employees are misusing customer data or leaking customer data. For example, an employee surfing through customer data outside business hours without business reason. Well, you would like to know that and, and act on it if needed. And I think for many, the dilemma is the balancing act between monitoring employee behavior on one hand and privacy laws and regulations on the other hand. Yeah, that's a great point. It's something that we, you know, we haven't uh, talked quite about, uh, talked about in this session yet, but uh, privacy laws are an extremely important part of exactly. this. So uh, let's talk about that then. Uh, you know, let's talk about the legality and and the uh, the concerns around privacy when we talk about you know essentially yeah. a solution or a tool that anonymously tracks an employee's behavior. Exactly, and and just to be sure that we understand the. Uh, the context of this conversation, uh, Brian, uh, when, when I'm talking about employee monitoring, I'm not talking about time clocks or cameras or tracking of the uh, uh, employee's whereabouts. So what I mean is how employee monitoring can prevent internal fraud in case when employees are misusing internal applications, such as uh, a core banking system. Um, but back to your question, uh, I'm not a law expert, of course, but uh, based on my own experience, um, is employee monitoring legal? Yes, it's legal, but 
you need to take uh, care of your local AMPRI monitoring laws and regulations, as they can be very different per country, or as I understood in the US, per state where you live. Um, as I understood in the US, the federal and state employee monitoring laws in some cases allow uh, employers not to inform employees that they are being monitored. And depending on the state and, and local laws, some regulations do require employee consent. Uh, looking at Europe, when you monitor employees, you must do it in a way which is not breaching with privacy regulations, like the General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR, here in Europe, or the Data Protection Act in the UK. And in some European countries, there's besides employee consent, also approval needed from labor unions or work councils. So it can become a very complex matter when you want to start monitoring employees. And I think for those listeners interested, I can uh, recommend reading a draft consultation paper uh, released by the UK's Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO. And the title of that paper is Employment Practices, Monitoring at Work, Draft Guidance. So the ICO released this paper about four weeks ago, and you can download it from their website, ico.org.uk. And it discusses monitoring at work and data protection. And as I mentioned, it's a draft consultation paper. So ICO are asking the industry for feedback before it's going to uh, replace the employee monitoring recommendations from 2011. And of course, the ICO have a focus on the UK only, but their guidance is based on the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation, which is, as you know, a regulation about data protection and privacy in the European Union. Um, and GDPR was put into effect in 2018 and seems to be the toughest privacy and security law in the world. And when it comes to employee monitoring, there are a few basic principles, like uh, employers can only monitor employees in a way that is lawful, uh, fair, and transparent to employees. So employers must be clear, very clear upfront about the purpose of employee monitoring. It must be specified must be made explicit, it must be legitimate. And based on the internal fraud risk assessment of the company, employers need to select the least intrusive way to achieve their aims. So it doesn't make sense to monitor email traffic or, or monitor team chats just in case. So employers need to be very transparent about their intent. And maybe the intent is to only monitor employees who are accessing uh, the core banking system, because these employees have visibility to very sensitive data, which you need to protect also from a customer privacy aspect, which is part of the GDPR. And if the employee monitoring solution involves collecting data about the employee's behavior, then um, the data should be relevant, right? Not excessive. Data needs to be kept secure, not kept for any longer than is necessary. Um, so you must not collect more data than is necessary just in case it might prove useful for you in the future. So oh, that I realized I, I'm, I'm giving you a very long answer, Brian, but the short answer to your question is, yes, in general, it's legal to monitor employee behavior. And a good piece of advice is to make sure that you fully understand your local employee monitoring laws and regulations and definitely don't bypass them. Yeah, no, fantastic points. Uh, you know, it needs to be a long answer because it's a it 
complex issue and one that needs to be treated with a lot of care, um, both from, uh, you know, uh, recognizing your employees' privacy rights and from a regulatory perspective, exactly. too. So, um, so yeah, no, thank you for that. Um, you know, we've talked in the internal fraud so far in the context of of detection, detecting a right. you know a fraud scheme in progress, um, which is obviously a very important piece and can mitigate damage and pro- uh, identify mm-hmm. weaknesses, etc. But let's talk a little bit about um, the other side of it, which is 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 prediction. Um, yeah. Is it is is this even possible? First of all, or is this just a, a pipe dream? But uh, is it possible to predict internal fraud before it occurs, or you know, very close to the moment where it might occur, and you know, sort of stop it in its tracks? Right. Um, well, I've seen some successful uh, implementations, uh, Brian, and um, I think today there are roughly three types of approaches used to detect inside of fraud. Um, Actually, there are four, as I'm still speaking to companies that 100% rely on segregation of duties and and 4i make a checker principles. And then they claim that insider fraud does not happen in their organization. Well, that comes back to the you don't know what you don't know uh, statement. And it's extremely important to have basic controls like segregation of duties in place. But what we often see is the scenario where an employee has access to sensitive information because it's part of his role. And then the employee is moving to another role where he should not have access to this sensitive information anymore, but he still has. So who is watching the watcher? And I cannot stress the importance of using technology to protect against the insider threat. Um, I think roughly there are yeah, as I mentioned, three technologies used to detect insider fraud. And I think the most common and traditional technology used today is based on analyzing massive amounts of log file data and, and audit file data. And this means when you're using an internal application, all your activities are automatically stored in a log file or an audit file. So when you modify data or delete data, then that activity will be automatically captured in the log or audit, uh, audit log. Um, but it's usually not the most effective approach because log files or audit files have never been designed to detect internal fraud. So it's not, not, not the most effective source of data. And secondly, you are heavily dependent on the quality and the availability of data in the, in the log file or, or the audit file. So for example, um, many applications only log update actions. For example, when you do make a name change or an address change, but they um, ignore few actions where the employee does not touch or modify the data, only looking at the data. So an employee surfing through customer data without any valid uh, business reason will go undetected. And well, you mentioned, um, is it possible to predict inside of fraud? I think the data quality and availability issue of, of, of log files and audit, audit files is also the reason why you hardly see predictive analytics being used for insider fraud uh, detection. It's common use for, for payment fraud, but uh, for the detection of insider fraud, I've not seen it yet. And I think the third disadvantage of log and audit files is they are not in real time. So insider fraud detection is always after the fact, uh, when the damage is already done. So, and then I think the second category or the third, uh, now I lost the counter. Um, I think it's the, yeah, the, the second, um, 
that are agent-based uh, solutions. So agent-based means that in order to monitor employees, you need to install software. That is what is called the agent or install browser plugins, other example of an agent on every single laptop and every single desktop, all the mobile devices out there and so on. So this is a more intrusive technology and you can imagine that this technology has quite some implication, uh, implementation impact, um, as well as support and maintenance impact. Uh, think about a large institutions where you need to monitor 70,000 employees and each of them having one or two devices. Well, that's going to be um, a tough exercise. Often those agent-based solutions are used for security reasons, not so much focused on fraud detection. And the classical example is when an employee who's about to leave the business on the last working day is copying confidential documents on a USB stick or at the last day uh, emailing these confidential documents to a private email address. Well, I think an even better practice is to lock USB ports or to keep data encrypted, but, but that is a security topic, right? This is not related to, uh, to um, the internal fraud uh, we are talking about today. But an agent-based solution will be able to detect that kind of security-related activity, but it can be very intrusive technology. It can monitor all the activities on someone's laptops, like emails, chats, web browser activity, and then you really need to keep an eye on not breaching your local employee monitoring laws and regulations. So um, yeah, agent-based solutions need to be used with care and again, are mainly there to detect security breaches. And then I think the last category of insider fraud solutions is what I call application level uh, monitoring. And this technology is used to detect behavioral changes or outlier activities uh, of employees by capturing and analyzing the network traffic from the application you want to monitor. Think about the core banking system again. Well, that sounds very technical, but this technology is often referred to as network sniffing, and it's used to monitor uh, user sessions for only those applications that have been flagged as higher inside of fraud risk, uh, your core banking system again. Uh, and usually the monitoring is limited to three to five systems that contain very sensitive information uh, which you would like to protect. Um, and the advantage of these solutions is they don't need to be integrated with the applications. There's no need to install software on a laptop or on a desktop because the solution only listens and analyzes the network traffic coming from and going to the high-risk application, yeah, the, the core banking system, for example. Um, at bottom line, we have even gone one step further as when suspicious activity is detected, we use patented technology that can replay the screens to the investigator. The investigator can review the employee actions screen by screen. It's like visual storytelling and, and, and this has a big advantage because often there is a suspicion of insider fraud, but the big challenge is finding the evidence for that insider fraud. And when you can replay the screens that the employee touched on or looked at when committing the fraud, then you have all the evidence you need in visual pictures. A slideshow actually that shows you who did what, when, to which data, from where and how. And it's this level of forensic uh, evidence you need in order to get law enforcement involved or, or bring a case into court uh, if, uh, if that is needed. So we call this solution record and replay, as that is exactly what it does. 
but only with a focus on monitoring the use of applications that contain sensitive information. Yeah, that's a good point. It's really uh, like you know anything else in the uh, financial crime context. It really is a right. risk-based decisioning, you know, and on how you're going to apply these solutions and uh, your resources to the highest risk areas. And it sounds like a some really exactly. powerful some really powerful technologies you can employ for your your highest risk areas. So it's good to good to say. Uh, let's let's finish off with a topic that has been uh kind of key to the, the fraud landscape over the past 18 months or so um and that was what, what was the ro- remote work environment has now become the uh, hybrid work environment um uh, you know we've been living in this world for as i mentioned i think something is going wrong Well, there, Brian? Yes, I am. Are you able to hear me, Rude? Now I am. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. All right. I'll. I'll uh, all right. I'll take that one from the top, and I'll just edit that yeah. that section out then. Okay. <laughs> well, let's close out with a topic that uh, has been uh, on the top of mind for a lot of fraud professionals over the last eighteen months or so, and that is uh, the. Formerly the remote work environment and now the hybrid work environment. Um, you know, a lot of issues around this earlier on in the pandemic, um, a lot of concerns about the impact on the fraud landscape. Um, I'm wondering, you know, have we reached a sort of stable point um, where we've, we've worked out the issues and, you know, generally uh, uh, have uh, uh, ironed out the fraud risk related to hybrid models or... Is it still just uh, going on the up and up? Yeah, that's an in- another interesting question. Um, and as I mentioned, Brian, at, at bottom line, we are currently seeing an increased interest from financial institutions in our insider fraud risk management solutions. I think bank- banks have invested in, in AML solutions and external fraud solutions. Uh, and while there's still a lot of work to do in these areas, uh, the pandemic and the working from home culture has uh, put insider risk management in the middle of the radar stream. I think for many banks, um, insider fraud risk management is the next step in their fight against fraud. Uh, also because of what I mentioned earlier, the rise of incidents where employees are are actively being recruited to carry out internal fraud, yeah, data leakage, financial theft. But there's also another issue playing, and that is often referred to as the great resignation, um, also known as the big quit and the great reshuffle. Uh, it's, a great, it's a global problem uh, where employees are voluntarily quitting or changing professions, and that's resulting in staff shortage in all kinds of industries making life harder for those who remain on the job. Knowledge is walk, walking out of the door. Less people have to do more, uh, more work, which frustrates them, right? And altogether, that can have a negative impact on, uh, on employee loyalty and in combination with hybrid working environments and, and less supervisions, that feeds a greater uh, rationale for undertaking illicit activity. So I think insider threat remains a key concern. It's, uh, it's therefore essential to have uh, appropriate monitoring technology in place, but also a, 
a deterrence strategy is uh, essential because when you know your activities are monitored for legitimate reasons, you might, you might not even think about taking uh, the opportunity. And um, as I said earlier at the beginning of, uh, of our conversation, uh, Brian, when we talked about Cressy's fraud triangle, it's a matter of taking the opportunity away. Um, and to tackle pressure and rationalization, people need to make made aware that insider fraud is a criminal offense and that needs to be reported and acted on. It's a great point that, you know, the uh, the hope, right, is is by adopting a solution, um, it, it helps you not need it, right? Because you are acting as a deterrent. And if exactly. people, you know, if people know that they uh the they're being watched more closely then the 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 hope is that they simply won't commit fraud so uh it's not necessarily about you know catching all the bad actors as it is just exactly. preventing the bad actors from ever being bad actors so exactly. um yeah no thank you thank you for this conversation rude you know we started out by talking about how maybe uh institutions and organizations don't pay enough attention to the topic of insider fraud, but hopefully by the end of this uh, this dialogue, we've given them some uh, some food for thought and some fuel to refocus their attention on Indeed. this issue. Uh, yeah, I think Thank it's going to be critical going <laughs> yeah. forward. Indeed. Thank you, Brian. It really has been a pleasure and an honor. Excellent. Thanks for being here again. My uh, interviewee today has been Rude Grodens, Head of Fraud and Financial Crime Consulting with Bottomline, and urge you to learn more about everything Bottomline has to offer in this space. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in to the Financial Crime Cast. Please join us for another episode. Our podcasts are available on Apple, Spotify, many other places where your favorite podcasts live, and have a great uh, rest of the day until you tune in again. Goodbye for now, everyone.